Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Welcome back to the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're all done with moral victories here, mate, because it is the most special time of the year. It's that time that Spurs fans always look forward to when we steal points off of Manchester City. And we're going to really enjoy talking about it. But first, I want to remind our listeners to not forget to leave us leave five stars on iTunes or Spotify. And also follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that that's out of the way, let me introduce our co-host so we can get to our ritual laughing at Manchester City. First, coming to us fresh from learning how to play Mahjong, it's Ben Daniels. Ben, how does it feel to embark down the road of another financially crippling habit? You know, we didn't play for money, and Yet. I think that's why I didn't win, you know? <laughs> but uh, next time. That's the spirit. <laughs> and speaking of crippling financial habits, coming to us from underneath the mountain of, let's say, debt, it's Brian Ashlock. Brian, are you keeping your head above water? Yeah, but I mean, that debt is unrelated to my usual activities. That's just like student loans. Like, otherwise, super, super not in debt. Uh, um, it's just I have, a, I have a lot of cash is the thing. So, um, But anyway, yeah. Just that few hundred thousand dollars that doesn't count. Yeah, I, and so I can't really give that to the government because that <laughs> – starts other questions and stuff so but anyway but yeah great really happy to be here well brian as an expert in illegal shady organizations how did you feel about manchester city's performance against tottenham hotspur it it continues to be the funniest thing in the world (laughs) like i i don't think you know there's no doubt that they were the better team that they you know aside from their uh profligate finishing uh they were just better than us and this happens all the time and and yet we still continue to you know if not just outright beat them just embarrass them in new and hilarious ways like you know Kulisevsky sending Nathan Ake flying to win a header and then doing the LeBron silencer celebration afterwards was like I mean, chef's kiss. Like, that's just the best stuff ever. Um, I'm not even disappointed that the game was a draw because it, this is, it's actually funnier that it was a draw. Uh, I, I, it would be funnier if it was a win. Let's like, I mean, no, I think I think it's funnier that the with the late equalizer and you know the the how upset they were just like every time the ball went in the back of the net. Like it was. I think this is funnier. Ben, uh, on the one hand, City dominated virtually every statistic in this match. They had, uh, I think, two—they they were two full XG ahead of us by the end of the match. But on the other hand, ball don't lie. Seemed pretty even to me. <laughs> I mean, the score line's pretty even, so I don't know, you know. They scored two, we scored three, we scored four. That's how I see it. <laughs> Do you think we're actually in Pep Guardiola's head at this point? 
Oh, absolutely. That man did not sleep the whole night before that game, and he hasn't slept since, certainly. And it's like, it's not even justifiable that we're in his head. Like, he's won literally everything else. It doesn't make any difference what the result of this game or the return fixture are in the grand scheme of Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. But... Because he's so annoyed about it, it makes it even better. Like, you know, for when they come to our stadium, they're still going to be trying to score their first goal there. Like, this is like, there's just so many layers to this. It's just so good. He's celebrating a treble, and then he just like thinks he sees Sun streaking towards the goal in the background, and it's like, what? What's going on? It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's really funny how. This just keeps happening to City. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, Spurs could be managed by Nuno. Spurs could have the best striker in the world. Spurs could be playing Brian Heal on the left. It doesn't matter. We're just going to steal points off Manchester City in broad daylight. It's absolutely the best bit going in sports. (laughs) I think the only thing that this one was missing that some of the previous games have had was, like, a really funny VAR intervention. Um but I don't, I don't know if that would have worked in our favor this year the way it has in the past. So, you know, what it really needed was after we get the equalizer for them to go down and score presumably a last-second winner only to have it ruled off because of, like, a questionable foul in the buildup or something. Like, that I mean, the would Liverpool... have been a real challenge for the VAR committee or whatever they're calling themselves, you know, because they'd have to really weigh, like, well, they hurt Liverpool's feelings – but Liverpool also probably wants City to lose. So what are we supposed to do here? And the answer probably would be like suspend, give another Tottenham player a red card or something. I don't know. But like, you know, it would have been a real challenge for the VAR people. You know, like how can they make Liverpool happy? I mean, the Liverpool goal that got rolled out in hilarious ineptitude, that's the kind of thing that should have happened in this game. Like they should have had a correctly scored goal ruled out by, you know, the machinations of incompetence of of everybody involved. And instead it happened against Liverpool, which is also funny, but it really would have fit in this match. So I think if, if we want to step back for a second, since that disastrous Chelsea match, we've taken one point out of a potential 12, I think. Wait, no. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hey, I did math right for once. Yeah, it's been I think if I told you that you like back then you'd be feeling, you know, pretty down about where Spurs are. I think the Benjamin in particular would have been in a very bad place. But I think we all feel to a man feel pretty great. I mean, including that Chelsea match, which you kind of have to throw out the window because it was just so bizarre. Um, you know, the Wolves match was the only really bad one in there. And even that match, like Spurs are honestly a little unlucky that we didn't take something out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think both the Wolves and the Villa match are ones that you can look at and, like, we should have gotten more out of those. Um, And so, yeah, like, one point from 12 doesn't feel great. Um, But I think if you look big picture, we're still within touching distance of the top. We're only six points out of first. Uh Uh-oh. Well, to finish Brian's thought, <laughs> we built up a nice head of steam in the first 10 games, so this hasn't really hurt us too dramatically 
for our final table position. And again, you know, we're all coasting on vibes, so it doesn't really matter that we're not winning as many points as we should. Because, like, the thing that feels good right now is that the team looks good, that we're building in the right direction. We all understand that we have a major injury crisis. We're weathering it as best we can. You know, the Villa game was very promising. And this, you know, again, if you told us that we took a point off of City starting with this lineup, I think we would have all taken it, you know, at any point in the season. So it's it's all good. You know, the Ant era is going well. It, it's kind of funny because it's, you know, all the things that I think we all knew we would have to sort of tell ourselves, for lack of a better term, at the beginning of the year, like in terms of it's about the performances, not about the results and all this other stuff. You know, it's like that's all true, but we got so used to just like, taking points from every match at the beginning of the year that it kind of derailed it. But I think, like you said, I think what you said about city can apply to like the last stretch of games, which is, you know, it's kind of incredible that the wolves game aside, which, you know, wasn't a disaster. It just wasn't good. You know, that I mean, we've just been playing really well and you've got to feel good about the way we've approached all of this. I mean, there was a lot of talk before this game about like, Oh, how are Spurs going to adjust their, you know, their, their style of play. And it was almost like a weird backlash to how much everyone loves Ange or something. I don't know, but you know, it's like there were, there were obviously adjustments in this match, but you know, like does anyone like sane think that if we just like bunkered men around the goal and tried to hit him on the counterattack, this would have gone any better. I mean, right. I, I, mean, I, I think it's we, entirely defensible and it worked. Right. I mean, we talked a lot last week about, you know, the approach against wolves and how, it was a little negative, and we were pleased to see Ange correct that against Villa. And even though we didn't win, we looked like ourselves, and we played really good football. And, you know, I think, like you said, the pragmatic thing that every you know commentator calling the game was, like, outraged by was that we didn't go back to a more you know, disciplined defensive lineup. And we ran it back with like the same cocaine football lineup um, that we played against Villa. And, you know, I think calling it naive is, is just completely a misread of what we're doing. Like, and exactly what it is to put out a lineup like that against a team like Man City. It's not like he's a, a, a child lost in the woods who doesn't know how to like pick a lineup. Like he knows what he's doing this is the way he wants us to play, and we played it. And, yeah, I mean, it, it was not the best football of the season, but it was good in patches. And we, you know, even though the expected goals looks extremely lopsided, I don't think it's, like, a, a grand theft of points in this match. Like, we were fair value for those three goals. Brian, what did you think of the way Ange approached this match now that your internet troubles have brought you back to us? Yeah, no, um, I th- I thought that it's been entirely consistent with, you know, the, what he's been doing over the last few months. I mean, you know, we were, you know, we saw the lineup for that Aston Villa game the other weekend. And we're like, OK, great. This is him sticking with his principles, even at, though he has to play an all fullback back line. And this was just the same. And I mean, I guess, you know, part of the thing is, is 
his hand is really forced by injuries in a lot of regards here. Like, you know, the, the main decision or big decision that he made here was leaving Eric Dyer out of the squad entirely and, you know, and, and continuing to roll with Emerson and Davies as center backs. And it's, it's just what he does. Like Ben said, it's, we, it's, it's not, not naive. It's not, um, you know, it, it, it's not not having a plan B, I, I, which I thought was interesting that, that so many people kind of pulled him up for, you know, not, uh, you know, not being able to play a different way or, or whatever. I mean, you know, he could play a different way. I'm fairly confident of that. Like we saw it against Wolves. It sucked. Um, you know, what what happened here is commitment to principles and commitment to ideas and commitment to the project that he's undertaken at Tottenham. And you don't get to make that the the steps in that process if you don't at every stretch every every you know stress point say no we're doing things the way we do them, and by going out there and getting this creditable result, um, you know with a patchwork lineup, I think you're just you're showing other people out there that this is who we are and this is what we do. I think. You know, if you're trying to sell the club and the club's vision to potential new signings in January or over the summer, playing like this against the big guns is probably a lot more appealing to them than if they say, oh, well, you know, if I get a chance to play, are they just going to bunker in and, you know, not go for it? Like, we're, this is us. This is what we do. I think this match also showed how reductive that conversation was. Because, like, yeah, like, and I think Ange does deserve a lot of credit for sticking to his principles and playing this way against Manchester City. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. But, like, you know, you could see we were under it. We weren't playing great in the first half. I mean, they were outnumbering us all over the pitch. So he makes a change at halftime and, you know, he pulls off heel. He puts on Hoiberg and you could just see the difference it made. It's not like Ange is just like, we're going to run out the 4-4-2 and see. I mean, he doesn't play, but you know what I mean? Like previous managers might have done that. Like, we're just going to run our system out, see what happens, and it's going to work one way or another. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he makes adjustments. He tweaks things. But, yeah, there is this commitment. And I just think, you know, you, like, I, I don't think it's as suicidal as everyone seems to think it is. Because, you know, do you think, does anyone think a backline full of fullbacks is going to be able to just to, like, sit outside our you know, five yard box and keep them penned in for the whole match. I mean, I said on the show last week, I thought they might beat us six nil. Like, you know, they I could have. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I still don't think that, you know, th- those center backs against Holland was great, but like, what, what other options? How many goals did Holland have? score? Yeah. Zero. So, I oh, mean, okay. they did shut him down. They did shut him down. Um, which brings up the question, like, is Holland a fraud? Yes, um, yes. Which the I think is yes. Yeah, I think that certainly bears discussion. Um, but no, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I the the fullback thing will end soon. Romero is now back from, uh, you know, his suspension, and it'll just be three fullbacks instead of instead of exactly. Four. And so that's that's so much better. So. You know the the mobility in the back line and the and the passing and the the possession play that that Emerson seemed to struggle with so much in this game uh, will at least be. 
I want to take a moment while we're talking about the back line, and we have talked about it, maybe justifiably with some derision, but like I want to take a moment to single out Ben Davies here. And I know we've got more important players to talk about, but like talk about a guy just sort of carrying water for the club and like I think doing a fairly respectable job. I mean, he helped, he kind of made our second goal with that crazy header and like, you know, almost at the halfway line or wherever it was. Like, I mean, he's been. You know, I think when he was a starting left back for us, it was a little easy to just sort of want someone better. But he's been a fairly consistent, useful, uh, you know, sort of servant of the club. And I got to say, like, for I think he's a pretty intelligent footballer. And, you know, I think we need to go buy another center back. But for a fourth center back, I think we could do a lot worse than Ben Davies, at least for the next year or two. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, look, it's Ben Davies has occupied a space of guy we should upgrade for a really long time and haven't because he's so serviceable and we've had so many other priorities and it's probably going to be the case again where you know he is he is the last backup to get replaced because like you said he comes in does a job you know he'll surprise you sometimes and do something really great and usually just sort of goes about his business without too many errors and yeah, I mean, it's a good guy to have around. I think, you know, I think we'd all prefer someone with some legs to play in that position, but we don't have that. So Well, and when you get to come on center down. back and you're not Chelsea or City or someone with tons of money to burn, it's just hard to find that. So you either got to get a young guy on the come up or whatever. But anyway, let's talk about some of the more important players in this match. Uh, Dejan Kulishevsky, uh, that man, I mean... I feel like he is somehow underrated by Spurs fans because he has been an incredibly important player this year. And this was another great game. I mean, just all over the pitch, playing in two different roles. I thought he was excellent in both. And then, like, I think, and I I can't believe this hasn't been talked about more, but, you know, just absolutely demolishing Ake for that final goal in the match. Like, I mean, just completely trucking him like he was a free safety or something. Like, just absolutely incredible shit. I mean, I I don't know where you want to start, Ben. I'll we'll, we'll start with you, but like, just I think Kulishevsky has been maybe our best player this season, just because he's been so consistently good for us. Oh, I don't agree with that even a little bit. Mm. I think Kulishevsky has had a little bit of a rocky season and has come under fire from a lot of corners for not producing, you know, getting opportunities <sighs> in the box and not taking shots. But man, I. I just think with how injured we are, his ability to run has made him so important for us. Like, Well, what I'll say is in the last two games, he has, I think, really stepped up and really taken on that responsibility um, in a way that I, I don't know. I don't I don't feel like he was really creating a ton, doing a lot from his sort of right wing role in our you know normal setup. It's. It's how he's responded to this injury crisis and this reshuffling of the team that I think has really impressed me about Kulishevsky. Because, I mean, we've seen him, you know, his his first spring when he got here, you know, what a player he could be. And he hasn't really hit those heights since. But he is certainly going a long way towards recapturing that form lately. Um, and I thought he had a fantastic game. And you're right, his engine is incredible. Um you know, for a guy who doesn't look like an athlete, doesn't read as like a fast guy, he is 
a guy who just has stamina forever. Um, and you know, you can see the team getting run into the ground towards the end of matches, even towards the end of the first half. You know, we we run a lot uh, as a, as a squad, and he never seems faced by it. But uh, yeah, I mean, great game. Yeah, and I mean, I I think I'm just stuck on that goal. Like that's just the like that fun goal. And, you know, the way he has to bust his ass to get up there to even be in position to, um, you know, just absolutely destroy Nathan Ake is 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 something. And then, you know, look, the header's not great. Like if he would have had a little better execution there, maybe it would have been even cooler. But I mean, gosh, like what a what a cool moment. And and the the celebration afterwards, I already said, was like that was terrible. I'm sorry. Every celebration he has, he scores these really important goals and it looks like he doesn't know what to do with his hands. Like it's just like, (laughs) no, I loved it. It was great. I loved it. And, you know, I, I, I've kind of liked him in this central role that he's been playing uh, the last couple games. I, 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 I'm, I'm not at the level where I think that he's like our, our backup to Madison, um, but I think that, you know, it, late in games or, you know, if we want to, you know, start games like this and kind of go at people right from the jump, I think it's good and he's pretty useful there. I mean, I think I think he was better on the right, honestly, in, in both of these uh, last two games. It's after we made the switch, we brought on Hoiberg for heel at halftime and shifted Kulishevsky back to his normal right wing position. Or actually, he was... Did he go to the left and Brian switch to the right? Or no, Josh went to the left. That's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think back on the right, Kulishevsky was a lot more effective. Um, but he was good in both. And like in the in the first half, you know, he had that great crossfield ball to set Sun free for the first goal. Um, you know, he is one of the few guys in this team who are capable of like playing a pass like that. Um, you know, it's a kind of like Harry Kane ball that we've really been lacking, um, especially since Madison's gone down. But, you know, he has a lot. He has a lot to his game. And the fact that he is now a two position option is is really helpful for us. He kind of reminds me of Kane insofar as that his lack of a real burst, I think, leads people to really underrate him. Like, you know, if he was a step faster, I feel like, you know, he wouldn't be playing at Spurs. Like, I, I just think he would be rated in a different way. But he's just, he's so good. And, you know, even if he isn't as fast as maybe you'd like him to be, especially when he plays on the flank, it's, you know, just the fact that he could just run all day long. I mean, you know, we've talked about, I think you saw it again in this match, even though it's worth pointing out, and we'll get to Johnson in a minute, you know, he created that cross at the end of the match. But you can see Johnson getting leggy, you know, after the 70th minute. And, you know, I don't want to blame him for that because, that's a lot of miles on those legs, but you know, like Kulishevsky never gets leggy. He's like, I mean, that guy's just running and I mean, he just keeps running the whole match. He's always there. And, you know, I was joking cause it was, it was fun watching him sort of posterize Ake there, but you know, he has the energy to, if you watch that play, he's running all the way across the field to make sure he's there in time for it. And that he has sort of the energy to not only get there, but completely run over a premier league player you know, it's 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 impressive. Like it's funny, but it's also impressive. Right, a guy with fresh legs who had just come on. Yes. It's not like Harry Kane like shoving Kyle Walker out of the way. I mean, he like just ran over him. It was really really physical, and 
God, it was it was so satisfying. I thought I thought the match was I thought we'd blown it um, when Grealish scored, and just like the way he was able to score that was. I don't know. Kulishevsky scores a lot of goals that make me feel very happy because they happen super late in matches. But, and you know, that's probably not a coincidence. Like, this guy's got a motor for days, and that's probably why he's scoring so late all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's that's one of the his best features is you, you can kind of consistently bet on if you need him to, hey, he'll go the full 90. And, you know, with with some of our other wide players and some of our other attacking options, you have to start thinking about getting them off after 65, 75 minutes. And and with him, you you're literally never going to need to worry about that. Um, I want to talk about some of our other good performers because we had a couple of them in this match. Uh, I think it would be remiss without giving Son credit. Uh, you know, it's funny how. You know, as Spurs fans will complain about sort of bogey players, players who, you know, always seem to have our number. And I think sometimes we don't fully recognize when that's the case with our guys. And, you know, Son must be an absolute nightmare for Guardiola and City. I mean, he always fucking takes it to him. I mean, that first goal was just classic, classic Son you know, especially Sun against City. And it was really kind of interesting to see, like, Doku, who's such a good, such a good player. And that ball goes over the top to Sun. And, you know, if a little more, if, if a player with a little bit more defensive confidence is sort of covering Sun on that, I think Sun maybe not doesn't develop that chance. But Doku kind of doesn't know whether to stick or twist. But you just always feel like Sun gets the better of someone on City, at least, at least once in every match. And he was just, I thought he was you know, maybe not consistently dangerous, but dangerous enough throughout the match that it was just, it's just, he's fun to watch against. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, he hasn't really gotten as, as many opportunities to run in behind like that um, this season, um, just by virtue of us having, you know, a lot more settled possession, generally speaking. But I mean, for me, you you see him like burst past those guys and take that first touch, and you're like, oh, he's gonna he he has a chance here. You just felt like he was gonna because, like you said, it's Sun against City, and you know, and and also we'd not looked that great up to that point. We we'd really looked like City were gonna you know blow the doors off of us, and then. All of a sudden, Hungman's son is one on one with Ederson. You're like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this is good. Maybe we're gonna be fine. Yeah, I do wonder, you know, if we had another, if we had a real striker in this team, and Son could be the guy, you know, on the wing, getting to run him behind more. If he could really start cooking again, but. Uh, Whatever. That's neither here nor there. We've, we've got a lot, a lot to sort out between that. Um, yeah, I thought it was it was very unfortunate that he responded so quickly with that own goal. I think, you know, I don't. I, I can't reimagine the whole. I mean, that was like ten minutes into the game um, when we set it back to one one. But it, it does feel like. Who knows what could have happened if if we hadn't shot ourselves in the foot in such a silly manner. If City um, had like 10 or 15 minutes of thinking, here we go again. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, let them stew in that. Let them marinate on, you know, the horror that is Hungman's son. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But it, yeah, no, Sonny's great. And it was nice. I feel like every time, every time anyone's like, oh, his son passed it or his son not firing anymore, he just like does something like that, which, you know, it was a little more isolated in this game, but it gets city. So, you know, who knows? Um, the other offensive real standout that I thought was LaCelso, who we always backed on this podcast and definitely thought was always going to be a success for Spurs. Uh, you know, an overnight success four years in the making. Uh, ben, are, are you happy LaCelso stuck around? I mean, yeah, you say that sarcastically like we didn't back LaCelso. I think maybe earlier this year we kind of fell off that train, but yeah, like we kind of did. <laughs> I don't remember ever falling off a LaCelso train. You of all people, Greg. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mr. I, Real Batiste. My, my beautiful Batiste boy. I always believed in you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we all I, we always knew what a player he was and could be. He just never seemed to stay fit long enough or have a manager that he got along with long enough. Or have a manager who wasn't a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, this is... You know, it's not shocking to see him play like this. This is the guy we bought. It's just insane that it took marinating for four years for him to finally be well, ready to do it. It is funny about LaCelso and Ndombele where, you know, part of the thing that we'd been saying to some degree or another was like, oh, well, if you have a manager who wants to, like, play attacking, or, you know, maybe not possession football, but, you know, like progressive football at a minimum, you know, like they'll thrive in that system. Now, you know, and Dombele is clearly like not motivated enough. I think, I, I think it's not an on, it's not an on the pitch problem with Ndombele. It's an off the pitch problem, but LaCelso really does seem to have responded and, you know, like, God, it's perfect. Cause like Madison, I think, and I think Madison is a better suited for what Postacogli wants to do, but Christ, it's nice to have LaCelso sitting there like when Madison went down. And if you, you got to think, if this team's got European football next year, like it's going to be nice to have both of them. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, he spent the first half in the SAR position. And I think SAR has had a great season so far. But I think it's a real question um, if everybody's fit, which of the two of them plays in that in that third midfield role. And I don't know. I think a, a Los Celso and Madison on the pitch at the same time, the way we have Los Celso and Kulishevsky, I think that might really fucking cook. Well, especially because I think Los Celso is better suited for a deeper position. Dare I say a Luka, Luka Modric role on this team? Like, I mean, he does shit when he's sort of further up, but like, I, I definitely think a Madison is, I don't want to say a forward, but he certainly, I think, thrives a little bit closer to the opposition goal than. Like I think LaCelso could be successful there, and God knows I saw him be successful there at uh, in Seville. But you know he's like I, I think he's sort of I've, I've been most impressed with him under Postacoglu about sort of his passes from deep. Yeah, he's much more of an eight than a ten, but he can do the ten, and which is nice. And I and I agree with Ben. I think certainly there's a there's a way that we can play that that allows for both Madison and LaCelso to be on the pitch at the same time and also, you know, doesn't leave us being completely open. I think that's a pretty interesting lineup to to play around with against, you know, some of these weaker teams where you need to try to open people up and and that sort of stuff. I still like, you know, Sar just for um, you know, the, he's he's more busy. I think you know he he gets up and down a lot more. He allows um, 
Poro a little more freedom from his fullback position. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in this game specifically, LaCelsa was great. Um, you know, uh, he, I don't think he had a, a pass that he didn't complete. I think he was like 40 for 40 on his passing in the, at least in the first half anyway. I th- and um, I think he misplayed a corner. Yeah. And that was his one incomplete pass. So, and, and you know, and and I mean, th- that's in a game where we're not having 60, 70% possession. Like, it's in a game where we're under pressure um, and, and you know, he's not getting time on the ball. Um, and so, like, he was making good decisions. He was picking out um, his teammates in open spaces. He was, you know, popping up around the box, like... You know, he almost had a second goal um, that just like got an unlucky deflection. And, you know, I, I I think I think he's certainly good enough to to be a starter on this team. And I think, you know, that doesn't overall jeopardize the quality of the of the team going forward. But like I, he just has to have like a sustained run like this now. And and that's always going to be the question with him is is you know can he do this for two or three months of you know playing and starting regularly and it's just never staying fit. Well, if there's I think one advantage to this sort of injury crisis bullshit we're going through right now or suspension crisis you know whatever missing all these first teamers you know I think there if there is a question mark above. Well, one of the question marks about Postacoglu early in the year, you know, especially after that Fulham Cup match, was like, okay, well, how's he going to integrate guys who aren't the first eleven? You know, you got a strong first eleven. What happens after that? And you know, now we're getting to see him sort of chop and change this team a little bit. And I'm really impressed with the results. I mean, I think again, it's not as really relevant for this match, but like sort of one thing that I think has really been to Postacoglu's credit this year is when it doesn't work, he doesn't you know, like he doesn't keep fucking around with it. He moves on real quick and you know i i just think it's really impressive that lacelso has been able to thrive in this and it's just it's nice to see and i'm, I'm kind of curious because next year's his contract year and i guess either we're probably going to re-sign him or we're going to get a lot of money for him and i guess neither of those is a bad result but it's nice to see lacelso starting to do those things that you know we all thought he could do all along and maybe it really was just like jose Mourinho is a terrorist and antonio conte sucks and nuno doesn't fucking know what the hell he's doing but you know it's it's nice to see him playing like this for us and i gotta say it's really nice to see him doing this for us and not villa this year so i'm really happy he's here right now and you know i mean god for a guy that we thought didn't care about being here he's picking fights with you know, Erling Holland after the match, which I absolutely love to see that level of shithouse where you're like, Eric Lamella's heart must have grown three sizes watching that, like, you know, from Spain. Like, just absolutely incredible shit. I mean, I yeah. think we sh- can't sell Los Elso. Well, I mean, not, 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 so when I say that. No, no, no. like even this summer. summer. Not, I don't mean in January, sorry. Outside of our starting 11, like, he is definitely the next best guy. And, and depending on so how you much arrange so, that midfield, he might be in the starting eleven. Right, exactly. Like I think we've got a guy, a guy who can do what he will do will cost a lot of money. And if Lacelso can stay fit and stay in form, then that's a problem solved. And I hope he wants to stick around. And I hope he yeah, gets Dan- 
Daniel Levy extend Giovanni LaCelso. <laughs> we're, we're, we're finally right. Four years later, we're finally right, and we're very happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his goal was so well taken, and besides all of the string pulling that he did, like, you know, he had a lot of fight in him. I think he seemed Literally, up for it. in this case. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Barcelona seemed to need midfielders, and if they wanted to pay actual money for him, not that they have it. I don't know if they have any levers they still need to pull or whatever, but, you know, I I don't know. I I think we can easily part with him. Uh, We can part with him? Yeah, well, I I think we can sell him. Like, I I understand that maybe in January... in January, right. in January, fun. maybe it doesn't make sense, obviously, because of all the injuries we have right now. But like, uh, I'm fine with letting him leave over the summer. I I don't know if he's gonna want to stay because he probably knows he's gonna be second banana. I mean, I'm talking about the summer here, not January. But I mean, man, imagine it's so good and having an option like that, and you know, we're gonna be in Europe next year, one way or another. Like having a guy like him, even if he's like in the B team, it's just it's so it's so nice to have. And I think I think we really should fuck around with integrating him into a team with Madison in it. So, uh, man, I, I just hope we keep him around, if only so I can say I was right. Next year, when we see Bentoncourt, Los Celso, Madison Jesus line up in our midfield, Christ. we're gonna fucking ruin people. I I am Ben. I will fucking die of happiness if that happens <laughs> like i will be so happy if that's a midfield we're running out and beating teams with god uh speaking of things we're right about i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about our beautiful spanish boy pedro poro who continues to defy all his critics just having a great season at spurs if i told you because I, I guess doku has been sort of a nerd heartthrob on the internet for at least a year before this season like you know if i told you at the beginning of the season like Pedro Porro is going to keep him in his pocket for the entire match when we play City. Like, I'm not sure how many people would have believed me, but he was, I thought Pedro Porro was just outstanding and, you know, really making us in particular look smart. Yeah, I mean, we're award-winning scouts. And uh, I, what, I award? I, what award did we win, Brian? Uh, the best podcast scouter. Um. <laughs> I've got the. I, you guys didn't know about it. It's uh, the the ceremony was here in Miami, and so I didn't tell you. But anyway, I, I'll I'll send you photos after. Um, now I don't know, man. I think you know we've been consistently impressed with his defensive development throughout this season. I mean, we we were all pretty much agreed that oh maybe we were going to see more Royale this because. You know, can Poro play as a fullback and blah, 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 blah. And then the first game of the season at right back. And it hasn't really happened uh, since then, you know. And um, it's just because Poro is doing it so well. And, and, you know, before the injury crisis, um, I think he had a lot more freedom and he was doing a lot more attacking stuff. And over the last four games, he's been asked to do even more defending and be even more, you know, tactically disciplined and, and additionally aware. And he's pretty much done that. You know, I, 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 and I think the other thing that he's really succeeded in doing this year is cutting out a lot of the dumb mistakes 
Um, that first match that he started this season for us, you know, we talked about he had like two mistakes in like the first 10 or 15 minutes. And then after that, it was pretty smooth sailing. And those mistakes just haven't really cropped back up. And, you know, it's it's his confidence on the ball. It's his interplay with the guys around him. Like he is a, a, a really, really important piece of this. Seems to be just adept at doing whatever Postacago is asking of it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he still has a tendency to be a little looser with the ball than I would like. Um, and maybe overplays out of the back a little bit. But in this game, it didn't okay, really Tim hurt. Howard. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I think there is more to come from him. Because I think we have seen him develop so quickly and cut out so many of those errors. And become so much better in the defensive phase of the game. Um, And, you know, we are also, because I think of our injury crisis, we have lost that attacking upside of of what he gives you, which is like really the the thing we signed him for. Um, And, you know, A, the fact that he's been so good not doing that is great. And B, I think there is a future where we get comfortable enough that we get both sides of Pedro Porro and then, you know, God, what a player we're going to have on our hands. And I think, you know, it gets over. I mean, I know this is going to sound a little obvious, but I think it gets overlooked that not only is he better defensively, because it's not just like he's learning to track back and how to mark a man. It's like he's getting better defensively and he's doing this inverted fullback thing. You know, which obviously sort of has an impact on both sides of the ball. But it's just it's, you know, for a guy that a lot of people thought was sort of a dummy who had like two tricks last year, you know, he's really adapted well. And I think it's just, you know, maybe one of the most impressive things Postacoglu has done since he's gotten to Spurs is just how well Pedro Porro plays. I don't want to take anything away from him because obviously he deserves the credit, too. But, you know, I think just playing this well against city, not being a liability in any sense of the word. And like just absolutely shutting Doku down. I think Doku had like one shot or one shot on target. I'm not sure which, but you know, he just absolutely took him out of the match and he's so good. And it's like, I think we were all thinking that might've been a waste of money last year. I mean, not us, but other Spurs fans. Cause you know, we're obviously award-winning scouts as Brian pointed out. Um, but <laughs> It's just—it's really encouraging to see, and it's really—it's really nice to see because I think so many times, I think in modern sports in general, but you know, also in soccer, everyone just sort of expects these guys to be finished articles, and you know, especially for someone who isn't like eighteen to f- develop and advance at such a relatively high level is is really just fun to watch, and you know, he's just—I think he's you know. He reminds me of Lamella, too, and all the sort of, like, bullshit and tangible stuff he does that I just enjoy because it sort of hits my fan lizard brain in the right way. He's just a really fun fun player to watch, even if, you know, we didn't deserve credit for scouting him for Spurs. But, you know, just another outstanding performance um, against City of all teams, and I, you know, just am very happy about it. Yeah, and, you know, it's a, a little, like, I don't know, revenge, quote-unquote, game for him because, you know, he was a City player at one point. I don't think he ever played Vaguely. for them. Vaguely, no. I think he never even went to Manchester, so. Yeah, so, you know, who knows? I, I, I don't know. I, I've been really happy with him this season, and I I, don't know, I hope he keeps it up. Like, it's been really great watching him, him play this year. 
Another player who I think deserves a lot of credit in this match is Pierre Emil Pierre 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 Emil Hoiberg because uh, I can't talk because I've had two and a half glasses of wine already. Um, Hoiberg I thought was pretty good and really helped settle this match. And I mean that has much to do with tactically is what he allowed is how he played. But I think he deserves a lot of credit for a guy who clearly wanted out could very much sulk from being like, you know, going from like a leadership role to not first choice very quickly under this manager. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for just cracking on uh, and really not causing problems and being ready when he's called upon. And, you know, I I think we're probably going to sell him in the summer, but I'm very happy he's on this team right now. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily want him as our first option, but it's nice to have a player like, much like Lacelso. It's nice to have a player like him on the bench. Yeah, I mean, the problem is you get too many of these guys that are nice players to have on the bench, and all of a sudden you don't have anything that's actually useful or like you know game changing on the bench. All right, all right, Debbie Downer. So I mean, I don't, I don't know that he wasn't game changing. Like, yeah, he's not like a progressive attacking option. We took off Brian Heal, nominally, you know, a, a forward wide player who's an attacker for a, you know, quote-unquote defensive midfielder in Hoybier. But that shift made us much better because he allowed us that stability to play out of the back and to help stop transitions and to allow, you know, LaCelso and Kulishevsky to kind of get a little uh, more forward in, in, in roles they're maybe a little better at. Um you know, I think the match that he started against Wolves, the 60 minutes he had to play against Aston Villa have been bad and bad because of him uh, in a lot of ways. So, you know, I think it's it's not he doesn't have a perfect track record this season of like making us better. But I think in his substitute appearances, in his when he's deployed situationally. I think he has really worked out for us. And I think this was a game where his strengths were well suited to, you know, the shape of the match. Um, in a way that they, you know, they weren't when he came on for Benton core, he made us worse, frankly. Uh, so again, I'm pleased to have him as an option. I'm pleased that when he comes on, he is a professional about it and isn't, you know, sulking his way through the match, ready to leave in January. Um, but I think, you know, this is Man City. We're under pressure. We're down a goal. He comes on and, you know, really turned the game around for us. So he's a very maligned player, and I think it is not entirely deserved. This is going to maybe sound a little harsher against Hoiberg than I mean it to, but, like, he's generally not the caliber of player we have is, like, on our bench or as a second choice. You know, usually that's, like, a guy like Hoiberg is – serving that role on a Manchester on a Manchester United or a Manchester City or a Bayern Munich or something like that. And it's nice to have sort of that quality of player. And weirdly, like we have a lot of sort of bloated squad issues this year, but with the way Ange has managed things, we're kind of between him and Lo Celso for all the other selection issues we have in terms of not enough backup attacking players or whatever, like it's kind of nice to have players of that caliber to turn to when sort of your first choice isn't available or isn't working. And it's, you know, 
that's arguably been sort of one of the problems the Spurs have had the last couple of years, like sort of the drop off of your first 11 into who you're bringing onto the pitch. And he's really made a difference, I think, being able to like come on. And I think, you know, his professionalism in particular has been really appreciated by me, at least. So. No, I mean, he's he's always been a good professional ever. He's been like, you know, and this hasn't been any different. Um, one of the guys that I, I also wanted to talk about from this game um, and actually for like a slightly different reason was Eve Basuma. And um, it was uh, it was really interesting how um, poorly he seemed to cope with uh, the pressure from Manchester City, especially because, you know, his whole thing has been kind of his ability to play well under pressure, to be press resistant, to turn out of pressure and move upfield. And I don't know if it was rust or if it was just not his day, but he he got caught in possession quite a few times, made some pretty sloppy passes, and just all in all, I thought had a really pretty bad game. Yeah, and I mean, I I think it's been a few matches that he has not been up to the standard that he had set for himself earlier in the season. Like, I, I mean, I feel like on this podcast for the first eight, 10 games, we were, you know, spent so much time talking about what a incredible transformation he had had, what a difference he was making for us. And, you know, how we got so lucky that, you know, Conte's terrorism didn't ruin what's clearly the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League. And he has increasingly not looked like that guy ever since that red card, I think. Um, was it Luton? Yeah. Burnley? Luton. Uh, that he got that red card. Like, he has started looking less dynamic and less confident and less swaggering. Well... Uh, I think it's like two things because I think on the one hand he's been like I could understand that he'd be questioning himself like uh, like or at least let me re- let me rephrase that like I think on the one hand I could understand if he was playing a little more carefully because he was on that weird yellow card thing for a couple games I think this is the first was it did you come back last he came back for this game right like he was back for Wolves and then he was gone again yeah then he was gone again. again that's what I mean so. You know, he comes back, he's playing under this, like, you're about to get suspended on a really tough stretch of matches, so that's probably going to affect his play. And then he comes back against Manchester City, which is, you know, not the best game to maybe regain your form in. Uh, So, I don't know. I kind of want to play some teams, like, that aren't maybe so daunting, if that makes any sense, and just see how it goes. Because I feel like it has maybe been an unrepresentative sample size between him trying not to get that extra yellow and suspended for another match. And also, uh, you know, then we play city, which is just difficult for a whole other variety of reasons, but you know, maybe he was just on an amazing 10 game stretch and we're not going to see that again. Yeah. I hope that's not the case. I hope he can figure it out because with Benton down for the next eight years, uh, we're going to need him to step up unless, you know, maybe star can come back and we can try him as a six. Uh, but yeah, we need a better Basuma. Like that, the giveaway that he had for was it the second or third goal? Third was third. Was just like, what are you doing, man? 
Yeah. It is interesting how, you know, you talk about that third goal and because, you know, Basuma is trying to dribble out of like what three guys or whatever the hell it was right there. And, you know, you heard it. We heard from the players about and just post game talk or, or halftime talk where he's like, I want you to play the ball more. You know, it's like I'm going to take the blame for it, not you like like this is what I'm telling you to do and I'll eat it. And, you know, Basuma needs to be better there. But it's also really encouraging to have a manager who's like pushing guys to take risks and do progressive things as opposed to this just like Chelsea cancer ball we've had to watch for the last four years. It feels like, you know, with like Ryan Mason's sort of interregnums excluded. It's just, you know, even if like, again, I'm like Basuma's got to play better, but I am at a minimum encouraged. We have a manager who's telling these guys to take chances um, as opposed to just like play it safe and keep it boring. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the the ability to continue to do that, all you know, uh, under immense pressure in in the match or under whatever sort of pressure that you're under from losing three matches is, is um, and you know, everybody that we're we're putting out there every week is is facilitating that. I mean, whether it's Basuma or Lacelso or whatever, um, and everybody buys into it and. That's great. Um, I thought Vicario was was especially good under pressure in this game. And uh, aside from all the cool stuff he was doing in, you know, goal related to his actual job. I mean, he he was making good passes from, uh, you know, us playing it short and um, he was being smart in possession. And he wasn't putting us really under pressure in the way that, you know, our goalkeepers in, in matches like these have in the past. And uh, I, I thought he was also really great in this game. Yeah, uh, I mean, Vicario is a continual treasure that, you know, I think we saw the video today of, of James Madison being interviewed by or having a chat with Ben Foster. Um, and they talk about Vicario and Madison and Foster were both like, we have no idea who this guy is. Nobody watches Italian football. Certainly not Empoli. Uh, had to Google the lad. <laughs> Vince Vince is just like frantically texting us right now. He, he knows there's, there's a disturbance in La Force. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he was off everybody's radar. And uh, yeah, he continues to be just so composed and so cool under pressure and such a just great guy. Someone described, uh, they were talking about what makes a keeper, you know, really special. And they were, they were talking about Allison. I can't remember who was saying this, but I remember hearing it. And they, the way they described it was that at least once a match, they're saving something that would, you know, for an average keeper be a goal. And I think you can apply that description to Matt, to Vicario. Like, I mean, I think, you know, that, that certainly who, whose chance was there was a chance like very early in the second half. And I'm, I'm blanking on who it was. I think it might have been Holland. I can't remember. But like the, very early in the second half. like No, Holland didn't put anything on target. OK, well, he's a loser and a fraud. But some city player put something in like the upper, like the top 90. Yeah, and, he had to dive and palm away. Yeah. And it's like I feel like there's at least, you know, again, like I said, there's at least one of these in every match. And on top of that. 
He's so cool and composed on the ball. And he's not like a plus passer, but I mean, we've talked about this, but he's willing to like manipulate the space and do the kind of things that like a, you know, replacement level midfielder will do, which, you know, is disappointing in a midfielder. But if you're talking about a keeper, you know, I feel like, you know, if you're talking about a keeper passing, it's like, okay, well, David Raya can maybe ping balls deep, but like, you don't think about his ability to like pass out of the back as much. And he's able to do that. And just because it's not spectacular doesn't mean it's not valuable, I think. I think <laughs> one of the things that he was bad at what is, is the long passing for sure. But he was willing to go long in this match in a way that I think he is normally – and I think coaching is like, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, was willing to just send it up the pitch as necessary. And uh, – I think that was encouraging because I do think sometimes it's like we try to do too much to play out of the back when it's not working, that sometimes you just need a loose ball pinging around midfield for us to like, you know, pick up on in a, on a messy broken transition um, and get something going. And I think he is not a guy to do that. And, you know, added that to his game (laughs) this week. But it's 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 impressive because he's just willing to suck players in, try to you know start progressing the ball upfield, and he was willing to keep doing that against City. Again, when we talk about Ange and his sort of courage with the system, like you know the players are sticking with it too, and you know that's a risky strategy, and he's just that guy's committed to it. So yeah, and I mean you know look how how often is it that we get to praise a, a goalkeeper that conceded three goals, um, you know in a match? I I don't feel like. Uh, really any of the goals that he's conceded this year have been, you know, errors or ones you're like, oh, he could have done a little better. I think maybe there's like one or two that he's like, that he could have, you know, if he jumped earlier, he was his positioning was X, Y, or Z, maybe. Um, but like, he's not out here fumbling balls into the back. He's not, you know... Uh, you know, making some of the mistakes that we kind of saw in in sort of latter era Hugo Lloris, um, and and that's that's great. Like that's a good change. I mean, you know, us not having unforced errors from our keeper uh, is is helping us stay in games. And uh, you know, he like said he conceded three against City, but I, I there's there to me there wasn't much different he could have done on any of those. So so. You know, and he stops that one that you guys just mentioned from going in. I mean, that's that's him being above replacement right there, because you know, no other keeper is going to keep out those other three. No, Vicario is great. I love him, and he's like, I think he's a genuinely great keeper, a very good keeper, and I think he's also the vibes are incredible, and it's just, you know, I think whoever sort of made the call and bring him in deserves a lot of credit because, you know, you were talking about that Madison interview and it's like, you know, for a tops for a chip for a Premier League club with realistic Champions League aspirations that we found him and had the courage to just start him, especially when, you know, we could have just paid 10 million more for David Raya, who was at least like a Premier League keeper. Like, I think that's really impressive on the club's part. And it's really worked out, and I'm very happy because he's fantastic to have with us. Um, I want to talk about now two more controversial players. Let's 
really get into, uh, I want to talk about Ben's favorite uh, member of Tottenham Hotspur, which is Brennan Johnson, who I thought, I feel like this match was very uh, emblematic of his time at Spurs, where he's not on the ball a lot. But when it works, it re- works really well. Um, he, I thought, you know, when he gets on the ball, when he gets in the final third, he gets dangerous. But he's not always necessarily getting there as much as you would like him to get there. Uh, ben, uh, since you're our negative Nancy, would, how would you like to discuss Brandon Johnson? I mean, it's the same Brandon Johnson we get every week. Like, this is the exact, like you said, emblematic Brandon Johnson performance. He was a 50% passer no dribbles, like guy who doesn't do anything when we have the ball in front of a defense. He's just not worth anything in in those phases. And then you get him free and it's like, holy shit, you can't teach fast. This guy is lightning quick and is in the box making plays, creating chances, taking shots. And, you know, it's, it's tough because it's hard to weigh what he's taking away from the team by not being a more involved player. But you do see when he gets in those op- in those positions, he takes those opportunities really, really well. Um, and I think I, I do really want to give him credit for that cross for Kuliszewski's goal because that was not that. That was not him in space. That was him looking extremely leggy and, you know, had clearly run himself out and still managed to take the ball past, uh, I guess it was Kyle Walker probably. Or was it Diaz? I don't know. But he's still, like, in settled, sort of settled possession with a guy in front of him, beat his man to put that cross in, which is the thing that he really hasn't done um, since he's shown up here. And to do that, that late in the match when he was looking clearly gassed i was very very impressed by um and you know the flip side of that is like you got a guy like brian heel who's like touching the ball constantly always on the ball you know and is doing very little with it you know so like i i hate having to play both of them because they're both so like kind of one-dimensional but i think when we get one other player back in this team, whoever that is, if it's Saar or Madison or Bentancourt or whatever, um, I think we're going to be start seeing, you know, the positives of Johnson um, being a lot more of a plus and the negatives not being a problem because we have other guys to compensate for that. Do you see, because I think Johnson's had a bit, I think it's a little underrated how weird his year has been, because he got hurt for a bunch of matches, and then he came back in really at this extremely strange period where, like, half the squad has died. So, I mean, and I do think that's affected him somewhat, because, like, you can see, like, he is getting gas late in matches. This is a guy who's not, you know, either would be more effective as a super sub or just, like, you know, might be more effective if you could pull them off in the 70th minute, which we just clearly don't have the bodies to do right now. Do you think, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Like, on the one hand, I can see the limitations with Johnson. I can see what he doesn't do. But on the other hand, having had to give him all these minutes, I can see why a coach like Ange can look at him and be like, and dream on the guy. Like, 
he does these things really well, and eventually maybe we can like sort of work these kinks out of his game or whatever. Because he's not involved with the ball, Tom. But when he is involved with the ball, especially in the final third, it's like like good things tend to happen. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's fucking fast. Like he's so fast, and when he gets free, he does pick his head up well. He looks for that square ball. He looks for, you know, his teammates really well. Um, maybe could be shooting a little more. He's, but yes, he's very dangerous when he gets in behind. And I think you know. We just talked about Pedro Poro's development on, you know, his defensive side of his game. Like, there's no reason to think that Ange Postacoglu can't take a player with the tools like Brennan Johnson and teach him to play whatever it is his role is uh, the, the way that needs to be done in this system. I think the problem right now is, like Greg, you know, kind of the lack of consistency in playing time. And and two, that he's just being asked by virtue of the position that he plays to kind of shuffle between a lot of different spots. Like sometimes he's playing as a second striker sort of thing. Sometimes on the left, sometimes he's on the right. And, you know, so so he's not really getting the opportunity to sort of bed in and fit into one role. And I I don't know. I, I think this is. This isn't like an instant success signing that we've had but i uh, like you guys said there's things that are happening there's tools that he has that give you reason to believe that with more time and a little more development he can be successful i i I certainly think you know he has shown the capability to be a above average to plus passer like you know he he does you know see things and he does make like you know it was probably more luck than anything but that header that he had a couple games ago to or against is it the Chelsea game that he did that in um you know to put us through and and lead to a goal was like that was that was a really cool piece of play like you know and maybe with another year or you know the remainder of this season under his belt he he gets more comfortable in the system and in the role and and he starts to kick on um but you know it's going to it's going to be a longer evaluation for him yeah, he's also I mean, he's 22 you know like yeah. when we bought Richarlison for like the same kind of money he was you know I, he's 26 now i guess he was 25 then you know we we seen him play in the Premier League for a lot of years by that point. You know, there was a lot less to dream on in terms of his development. Like, Johnson, this is his second year in the Premier League. He's very young. Like, there is plenty of time for him to develop, you know, new new tricks and, and round out his game. Um, and, you know, I think we all trust Ange to be the coach you know, if anybody's going to get it happening, it's going to be him. Um, and, you know, if he's not like the guy, I think he's very useful as a guy in a way that I think, you know, Brian Heal has shown probably isn't going to be. And, you know, we are we have such a thin squad that a guy who even if he ends up just being this limited version of himself, um is still a useful guy to have on this team. 
That is a great transition, Ben, because Brian Hill, I actually felt bad for in this match because like he did some things that are really positive. Like, I mean, he helped like create it's, that first goal and he, you, you can see like where he's a really talented footballer, but like at the end of the day, like I, I come away from this match and it's maybe not fair to him because city is city and maybe against other teams he can do a little better. But like, I'm just like, this guy can't physically hack it in the premier league. Cause like Kyle Walker, who I think, Maybe this is just a me thing. Like, I mean, that guy, like, got on the juice or something after he left Spurs because he is just so big and strong now in a way that I just did not think of him when he was at Spurs, which might be a me problem, might not be a him problem. But, you know, Brian Heal just, like, could not physically hang with him. And that's that maybe not necessarily to Brian Heal's, you know, sort of. Right. A lot of people can't hang with Kyle Walker. Yeah, but you just look at really Brian Hill and you're like, oh, yeah, we play like a Stoke City and he's going to get like his fucking like legs broken. And that's maybe unfair to Brian Hill. Maybe he needs to play a few games against like a Sheffield United or whoever and like, you know, find his feet because he did do some nice things. But like, man, that guy just doesn't look like he's up to it. Or at least that, that was my big takeaway from this. Yeah, I mean, you know. <sighs> It's easy to look at guys that are athletic and project what they could be. And while I'm not suggesting that Brian Heal is not in some ways athletic, like he he does seem to have a lot of energy. He does do a lot of running, but he is not particularly fast. He is not particularly um, like dribbly. He's definitely not all that strong. And so it's unclear sort of what he's going to give us. You know, I, I think, you know, his passing at this point isn't isn't good enough for him to be just like a link player. Um, and he doesn't get shots at all. So I, I, I just... It's hard, and I know that, again, we're limited by what we have available to us, but it, it's it's rough when we have to run him out there, you know, um, and including uh, some of the younger guys on the bench and then even giving, you know, some playing time to Donnelly at the end of the game was um, kind of indicative of how he saw some of his attacking options in that game. And... and Heal is definitely probably like the weak link out of that group. The thing about Heal for me in this match is, yes, he is not physical. He is small. He is whatever. And, you know, a good player can compensate for that. And, you know, in having really good vision, having really good touch and whatever. The moment in that game that, like, lost me on Brian Heal forever was... <laughs> When he gets the ball in a broken play high up the pitch and Sun is standing there in wide open space. And instead of taking that one time pass to put Sun in behind, that was like just such an available pass. He puts his head down. He dribbles like eight touches and then picks his head up and the play is gone and fucks it up. And it was just like. You that's the kind of thing you got. You got to have it or you don't. And I just have not seen that from him. That incisiveness. Um, 
he's just a guy who puts his head down and runs into blind alleys and then gets shoved into a locker. Like he's just, I, I don't know. I just, I just, yeah. You need him to compensate for his lack of physical skills with something, you know, and we're just not seeing that. I, I would like to think that like we need to see him play against some more teams that aren't like, like he's just played some weird games um, and, and some games against some really good teams. Like I would like to think like, Okay, he's gonna play against like I don't know Everton or whoever, and that'll like, you know, we'll we'll see a little bit more out of him. But I, like you said, like he, he doesn't have the physical skills to overcome some of the issues he had, or the physical attributes to overcome some of the issues he has, and the decision making to overcome some of those physical attributes isn't there. And it's just I don't know, like it is what it is. My guess is he's gonna be gone next year, which is what it is. But he does. You know, this is a better outfit for him than, you know, we've had since he got here. Like, this is a coach who actually might want to use some of his talent. So, I don't know. Maybe something will happen. He's going to have to play a little bit for at least the next two months. So, he's going to have some opportunities. Uh, You know, maybe we'll see something. I don't know. Uh, I hope we do, but I'm not optimistic. Uh, Let's take a few questions from our listeners. I want to start on uh, Blue Sky. Um, And this comes from... Uh, Josh Baker on Blue Sky. He wants to know, what is the funniest uh, English fan base to make angry? Uh, I think, you know, maybe some people are thinking it would be City this week. I think that's definitely not true because City fans are terrible and don't actually care about anything. Uh, what Liverpool, City fans? What huh? City, what yeah, city exactly, fans? Exactly. I live in New York City, which is the most fucking frontrunner city in the world. And I guarantee you, every time I see a person with a City jersey on, like, they barely know who Manchester City is. Like, it's not, you don't see actual City fans up here. But, yeah, they, there's, that's not a real fan base. Uh, I think it's Liverpool. I think Liverpool fans are easily the most, like, sort of butthurt, like, giant babies in existence. But, Brian, we'll start with you. Yeah, no, I think that's the only answer. I, I mean, you know, the fan outrage after, you know, the game we had where it, what we had done was a, an affront to all of sport for all of time. Like, you know, that's that's like peak fan outrage, I think. So, so yeah, aside from like Liverpool fans and maybe, you know, I don't know, if, uh, a deep cut here, but like uh, Hearts fans – um, from back in the old days. Wow, of, Brian! Like what? Cardless free captain. I don't know. Maybe you that's back. Like that that deep seated Hibs fan inside of you, like coming out. Yeah. Yeah. This was twelve years ago. We played them in the Europa League, and yep. were dismissive of them as a football club, and they got mad about it. So mad. Uh. uh I mean, it's if it's not Liverpool fans, it's Arsenal fans. I mean, Arsenal fans. Well, you are, you would know, Ben. I I would defer to you on how yeah. how wind upable Arsenal fans are. I mean, look, they're the kings of online polls. They have a manager who makes Klopp look reasonable sometimes. You Even know, Pep was scoring points off of him this weekend. Like, <laughs> they're they're an embarrassing fan base. Not just because they're our rivals. They are. They are. Um, we have another question uh, for Blue Sky here coming from Reno Wallabout, who must be listening to our podcast for the first time. He wants to know, uh, what do you think Christian Romero says to the first West Ham player he leaves in a heap this weekend? 
Oh man, I wish I knew more Spanish. I know that's <laughs> that's I know that's contrary to the persona that I've cultivated on this podcast. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't need to know Spanish to talk to people whose native language is Spanish, Brian. So. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Um, yeah, what would he say? Um, I mean, probably something truly offensive. Like just just the most sweary and derogatory thing you could think of to say and and that Ben you got anything to add no fair enough <laughs> Ben Ball wants to know uh you know we're 0 and 3 and 1 in our last four matches and I'm delighted am I too easy to please or are our prior three coaches so brutal they made me completely reset my expectations. I would say poor Kano Dos. Uh, you know, definitely. I think both of these things are true. I think we have lived through four years of Chelsea garbage and we have very low standards. And also, Ange is magic and I love him and I'm so happy. Yeah, it, it's both. I mean, look, it. Watching your team be fun is fun. It doesn't, like, winning is fun, obviously, in its own right. But, like, it is fun to have a team play exciting, fun soccer. And there is no shame in being excited about that, even if it's not delivering results. Even if, you know, we haven't had four years of expectation recalibration, and even if we haven't, you know, set our our standards so low that we're you know, fine with losing, it's still fun to be fun. And I think it is important to remember that because I think when we were good, it was easy to forget that that matters. And it was just like, well, we got to win. And, you know, there's, it is about, like, it sounds like fucking loser talk to say this, but like, it is about more than winning and losing. It is about how you play the game. And, you're there to watch a sport and be entertained. And this is fucking entertaining. It is amazing. Cause I've been like, Ben, I know you were very, uh, down on Spurs for a lot of the last four years, but like, I was a little dismissive of sort of how depressed you were by all of it. And I've rethought that take as we have watched Ange, because like I don't think I realized how much I wasn't looking forward to Spurs until this year. When I'm like, I'm jumping out of my skin to watch this team. Like I'm so yeah, excited. International when, break hits, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, and like, like I know that, like you know, in previous, like for the last four years, with like maybe the exception of those like six months under Conte. You know, which were fun. Like, I don't want to, like, take that away from him. But, like, you know, it would be, like, you know, dragging, you know, certain people, you know, who live in Atlanta onto the podcast or, you know, like, talking about certain games. It would be, I would be, like, rolling my eyes a little bit. But now, like, I, I honestly have a little more sympathy for those people in Atlanta because, you know, it's just, it's so much easier. It, like, it's just, it's so much more fun to just, like meet people at the bar or like, I'm going to like make time out of my week to watch this team. Like, you know, it's just, it's so much more fun to have a manager who just, just like doing this stuff with us. And it's even when we lose, I mean, I'm feeling good about this stuff about, about this team. It's, 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 it's incredible. And it, 
you know, I'm not even sure I felt this way under Pochettino. I'm sure I did, but it, I don't remember it at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad like, you've been able to realize that you spent like the last three years dissociating. Yes, and are only yes. and are only now coming out of that fugue state. I would like to point out that unlike some of our friends, and I'm not actually complaining about Ben here. Like I was able to like feel good enough about that Villa game to go out and have some beers afterwards. So, <laughs> you know, that is true. I mean, I think look, it is easy to forget that we like sports because the game is fun because it gives us a thing to talk about with our friends it builds a sense of community it is it is it is more than just like three points on the board and you know we are all americans we all picked this team instead of a team that frankly wins games all the time you know like you do know a bit what you're signing up for um, and for me personally, in you know the Martin Yol era, it was about an exciting team that, yeah, didn't win every week, but like they played really fun soccer and had guys that you were like really excited to see what they might do any given week. And like, you know, being part of a fan base that was excited about that stuff and not just like, you know, you see like the fucking dour, miserable Chelsea fans from that era who were just like miserable about winning most of their games, but not all of them, you know, like we have seen, we have, we have been in this long enough that like you look at Barcelona fans, they're never fucking happy, you know, like it's just, it's, I know it's corny, but it is about more than that. And being fun and being, a team that you're excited to just watch what they do is, is worth a lot. It is. And you know, it's it's funny. There's a Chelsea fan I follow for like Baltimore and wrestling stuff. And he was like making fun of Spurs. I think after the Philly game, I can't remember, but he was like, Oh, at least they had a go mate. And it's like, yeah, like actually, yes. Like we've had to fucking watch, garbage Chelsea ball for like four years and like you know I don't know if I'm so beaten down by that but it's like yeah I'm excited to like fucking watch this team that actually tries to like play a little bit of football and win shit and they're like actually it feels like they're building towards something it's like it's it's refreshing I'm I, I it's just it's it's such a like I didn't realize how much I needed it till we got it if that makes any sense yeah absolutely I mean I think it it took those doldrums to remind us why we made the effort to care about this stupid fucking game in the first place. And it wasn't just like looking at a fucking spreadsheet and seeing our numbers be higher than other teams numbers. Like that's not the point. It's great. I mean, I I want that, (laughs) but I want that done in a way that is like fun every week to see us go out there and, do exciting shit. Brian, do you have anything to add to this uh, train of thought? No, I mean, fun games are much more fun. I I agree. (laughs) And um, we should continue to be fun. Um, And it would be fun if we were fun. Like you say that, and it's so glib and it sounds stupid, but like it is true. Like we winning one nil in a boring fashion. Like, yeah, you win games, but it doesn't mean it's, Fun to sit through for fucking 90 minutes. Certainly not for 38 games. You know, it, it's, this sounds dumb, 
but like you know considering what was going on in my life at the time and how much fun it was to watch like i'm gonna hold on to what we did in that sheffield united game like that's gonna mean so much to me for so much longer than many much more comprehensive wins that this team has had under a whole variety of managers and it's like and it's because it was fun and it was enjoyable to watch and the team didn't give up. And that means a lot. And I was probably very dismissive of that in the last few years, but and that's know, one thing I, was, we, I was wrong. I was wrong. And that's one thing we didn't talk about with the Man City game is, but like, boy, the fucking fight in this team, yes. the way that they battle back after going a goal down twice in sucker punch fashion a couple with, of times. With a bunch of the bomb squad in the starting lineup because of our injuries. You know, right. Like that is just amazing to see. Like if we even if we hadn't scored that goal, the fight that we had to get it there was really great. I'm glad we scored that goal. Yeah. But like, I think that goal makes it even better. I mean, for, I mean, for the obvious sure. reasons, it makes it better. But like, you know, this is a team that's like you could literally make a starting 11 out of our injured players that could probably beat the starting 11 we rolled out against city and those guys fought and scrapped and they didn't get discouraged when that goal went in and they kept on going and won that fucking game. And you know what? That does mean a lot. It is fun to watch. It is like, God, you know, this is going to sound glib and stupid, but like, yeah, we've got our Tottenham back or at least like the Tottenham we want to watch back. Like it's awesome. And I love it. And it's great. And it makes me very happy. And like, I don't think I realized how much I missed it till I got it. If that, and I'm very dumb, so. I won't argue with that. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate <laughs> that. Brian, do you have anything to add to my very emotional, half pretty drunk statements? No, I think that they were not at all glib or stupid. And I want to thank you for sharing. And thank you, you. You should know that this is a safe space for you to share stuff like that. <laughs> this is absolutely not a safe space for me to share. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> On that note, it is time to wrap this up. Um, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079, and you can find me on Blue Sky at just plain old Skipjack. You can find Wheeler Dealer Radio on Twitter at WDR Podcast at WDR, that is in Wheeler Dealer. Uh, fuck it, it's too late for this. You know, you know what it is. Uh, <laughs> you know what it means. Yeah, fuck you. I'm, I'm pretty drunk. If you've listened um, this long, you don't. We, we shouldn't even need to tell you. Exactly. You know what? If you got this far and you couldn't hear me string the thing I say every week together, let us know. I'm just curious how many people made it this far. For Ben, for Brian, and for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch. <laughs>